You are listening to the Feedback Link Podcast, and this is episode number 82, and we have one of our followers in the VBAC link community. Um, Her name is Brianna and she has got an awesome story for you today and we want to throw it out there. This does have a trigger warning. We know sometimes it's hard to listen to these episodes but we feel very strongly that it's important to share all stories and this one is is really awesome and also talks a lot about the information of what you're going to need to know for things leading up to uterine rupture. So let's get into this today and just be mindful that there may be some triggers. Julie has a review of the week and then we're going to turn the time over to Brianna to share her beautiful story. All right. Yes. I, me and Megan were just talking about this the other day, how it's like really important to us that we share all the aspects of VBAC with everyone on our pod, with you guys, with our women of mm-hmm. strength, mm-hmm. because uh, VBAC's not always sunshine and butterflies. And sometimes a VBAC isn't always a healing experience. And sometimes, like in this episode, a uterine rupture can be a very healing experience. And so it's very interesting in all the twists and turns and intricacies of birth. And so if you are ready for a uterine rupture story, this is going to be a really, really good one to listen to. So before I just talk so much, I am going to get to our review of the week. It's by Lauren Bonnet on Apple Podcasts. And she says, this podcast is so informative and helpful. Julie and Megan are the sweetest and most supportive mamas to listen to on my drive to work. I know it makes me so happy. I'm not huge on podcasts, but I literally wait patiently every week for this one. I'm a two C-section mama hoping for a VBAC after two C-sections later down the road when we get pregnant again. I so wish I had listened to this podcast before my previous pregnancies. VBAC or not, the information on these podcasts are so helpful in regards to pregnancy, labor, and delivery. The episodes are empowering and make me proud to be a woman of strength. What? what? Oh my gosh, you guys, we love these reviews. Sometimes it's easy for Megan and I to just feel like a bunch of crazy moms running around like chickens with our heads cut off, driving kids to and from school and trying to squeeze in the VBAC link stuff and our doula stuff and our husbands and our families and who makes dinner anymore? Like, I don't think I've made dinner for my family in a long time. But getting reviews like this really kind of makes, really, not kind of, it does. It makes mm-hmm. us feel really good about what we're doing and that we're that we're helping you. So if you haven't had the chance already, head on over to Apple Podcasts, to Google, to Instagram, to Facebook, to wherever you connect on the internet and shoot us a message or leave us a review because hearing from you really, really makes our day. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right, Brianna, we are so excited for you to share your story. We're going to turn the time over to you. Okay. So I guess I'm going to just start with my 
first birth experience because it's kind of important in the whole story. But I um, got pregnant with my husband very easily the first time around, and we were so excited, and I mean, everything was great. I had a textbook pregnancy. I really wasn't worried about anything. I mean, my mom had four really easy, quick labors and births, and I was just like really enjoying being pregnant. I didn't have any morning sickness or anything. It was just like a really nice, beautiful experience and was just kind of really, you know, just thinking everything was going to be great. And my first C-section happened after a 40-week check. So I went in and they uh, we did an NST which found that my daughter was having heart rate decelerations like really early, you know, during, during this test. And it also showed that I was having mild contractions. So I went in and I, I spoke with a doctor who was one that I didn't really know in a, in a large group. And um, she said, okay, well, the baby, it looks like they're having heart rate decelerations. You need to go get induced now. And I looked at my husband and we were just like in shock. Like we had no idea that this was coming. We had, you know, not planned for that at all. But, you know, I remember one thing she said was, well, you want to, you want to have this baby, right? You want to just have the baby. And we were like, well, we want to have her, but we don't want to like, you know, yeah. rush, rush things. So yeah, she's like, I, I called over to the hospital. They're waiting for you. Okay. So we went home, got our things and, we went into the hospital and thankfully the doctor who was on call there was super easygoing and, you know, they hooked me up to all the machines. And when I got there and she actually came in and she said, listen, you're laboring on your own. I'm not going to, you know, give you any additional drugs. I'm not going to, you know, do anything to progress things along. You're doing it on your own. I'm going to leave you alone, mm-hmm. which I was really thankful for. Granted, I would have rather have been at home, but, you know, it was still, I guess, the best that I could have hoped for in that situation. And, I mean, it was my first experience, obviously, so I was really just kind of handing things over and to the professionals and, you know, saying this is what it was going to be and it was going to be fine. So I progressed to six centimeters pretty quickly, and that same doctor came in and she had said, you know, you're really tired, you seem really tired, you know, you're going to need some energy you know, later on, you haven't slept, you haven't eaten. So, you know, I think you should probably think about an epidural or an Ambien or something, you know, and I'm thinking in my head, like, I, you can't even take ibuprofen when you're pregnant and you're telling me to take an Ambien mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm like, I'm not going to take an Ambien, but I guess I'll have an epidural. You know, I was, I was thinking that I was going to get one anyway. So I was like, what's, you know, what's the harm in getting it now? And I was handling contractions fairly well, so I ended up getting the epidural and kind of relaxed and slept for a little while. And, you know, it was just a really, really long labor after that. It kind of, everything just kind of stopped and paused and was just waiting for a really long time. And, you know, I ended up laboring for, I think, like 38 hours. And, you know, shift change came around, and at that time, the, the, the other doctor on call came in and said, we need to we need to do a C-section. This is just not happening. And I was just like, my heart just dropped after that. I had no like, you know, thought that this was going to happen, even though, even though it was taking a long time, you know, I didn't know what to look out for. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, 
you know, to get out of the bed and move. I just didn't, I, I didn't know. And right. um, when the doctor told me that, it was like the most devastating thing I could have ever heard. It, you know, I just kind of gave up and like let it happen. And, you know, it, it was what it was. And, you know, it, the baby started having heart rate decelerations with Pitocin. I mean, there was just nothing that they could do to progress things along which is, I guess, a very typical C-section story, you know, and even though it's pretty typical, it didn't make it any less, like, traumatic for me. I mean, I mm-hmm. was, you know, going from I'm going to push a baby out to we're going to go and slice you open now, and it was just, like, not, it was just a shock, immediate shock for me, and I immediately started just bawling and crying and just, like, cried the whole way to the OR and, like, cried through the whole surgery and, just cried like nonstop. Yeah. And I probably cried, like sobbed every day after that for a really long time. And, you know, after her birth, just had some really hard, difficult feelings and, and thoughts and, you know, going, going through that, just, it it just wrecked me completely. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I have a, a sister who struggles with mental health herself, and she, a couple of years prior, was going through a really, really hard time. And, you know, I tried to be there for her as much as I could, but she had said to me one thing, and that always stuck with me. And she said, you know, Brianna, it hurts to be alive. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't know how to, how to think Re- about that or how to respond. resonate with that. And yeah. this was was the one time in my life where I I understood and I mm. I got what she was you know what she felt and I it was just the hardest thing I had ever gone through mm-hmm. just dealing with that those feelings every day you know after that I was like I need to do something like this is just not, this is beyond like baby blues like this is just I need to I need to fix it so I I reached out to my doctor and I think, I mean, I had appointments with her like almost every two weeks. She was just constantly, constantly checking in on me. And it started with my um, two week, it was two week post-op visit. I went in and I saw just a different doctor who was there to just check my incision. And I saw her as I was leaving the office with, with the baby and she was busy doing something. She was writing paperwork or something. And she had, um, she looked up and she was like, Hey, how are you? You know, what's going on? I haven't talked to you. And I was just like very, you know, lackluster about the whole, I was just like, she's here. This is, you know, just, I, I can tell you're busy. Like, I'll just, you know, she's here. Everything's fine. You know, going to go now. And she called me that night and she was like, something's wrong with you. You know, you need to tell me, we need to talk about this and we need to, you know, fix it. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being so blown away that in like a 10 second exchange, she knew something was wrong and she like dropped everything like that day and called me and, you know, said, we need to, we need to figure this out. We need to work it out. And, um, you know, she and my husband were, you know, the only reason that I was able to, to get through that and to, you know, see the light at the end of the tunnel. And as I, you know, started bonding with my daughter around like nine, 10 weeks, 
I started to feel a lot better. And, you know, as I sort of started loving her and like really loving her, my like depression faded, you know, and everything just got better. And I saw kind of the clouds part and everything was just started getting better and it only got better. So it was just so fortunate that I had, you know, those people and that experience to, you know, to just shed some light on that and, and, and to, you know, help make it better. Yeah. And, you know, she was the one who even said to me, you know, she, for my, I think my final six week uh, appointment, she said, you know, if you want to have more kids, you can always have a VBAC. And I was like, what is that? What's, what's a VBAC? And she, you know, explained what it was and, you know, everything that I can do. And she said, you can, you know, hire a doula. And I was like, who is this person? This is my doctor. Like, she's telling me, like, she, I was like, this, she's so crunchy. I was like, what is, like, what is going on? And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, we'll talk about it and never. And then I ended up getting pregnant again very easily, like the first time. And I just became obsessed with, like, all things VBAC. I, you know, was like, I need to know everything about it. I need to have, like, all of these. I was just obsessed with it and borderline too obsessed with it. And I think through that obsessiveness, I things started kind of creeping back up again with being anxious about it and, you know, like focusing so much on, I need to make this happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's going to be the end of the world. And that's when I sought out a perinatal and postpartum therapist and I started seeing her and it it was just awesome to, you know, really talk to someone about, everything that I had gone through and I, I didn't realize how much of my first daughter's birth I really still needed to process. And I think mm-hmm. I was able to do that through seeing her and, you know, so I had her on my team. I had my doctor, I saw a chiropractor. I started researching doulas. I found this amazing doula who specialized in, higher risk births and particularly like feedback births were, were a passion of hers. And, you know, her, her, she had a great feedback success rate. Her numbers were great. I mean, I'm a, I'm kind of a, a data person. I mean, I literally looked up the quality numbers at all local hospitals to make sure I was making the right decision on the hospital. I was going to birth at. I, I, I did all of the research, everything that I possibly could have done and I think I just kind of needed to keep busy and keep things moving in a direction that was that was good. And, you know, my goal in the beginning of when I started seeing this therapist was that I, I really, really wanted to have a VBAC, but I wanted to get to a place where I didn't need to have that experience in order to survive. I, ne- I, I wanted that for myself and I really wanted it, but if it didn't happen, I wanted to be okay with it and I wanted to not have to slip back into this like super dark depression if it didn't happen Mm -hmm. and that was my goal I mean I needed I had nine months to make that happen and it kind of I I, it didn't really 
it, it just is so interesting. It's not one of those things that kind of just clicks. It kind of, it just, it, it happens over time and, yeah. and you look back on it and you're like, oh my God, like how, look how far I've come. So my, um, the time came, I was about 40 weeks and just going to visit my doctor every week. And she had actually in the beginning of my pregnancy suggested that, you know, not only do you, okay, you want to do a, you should go to a chiropractor, you should do this, you should do this. She also said that I should start seeing the midwives in the group. Because, you know, A, the experience would be different um, than seeing seeing an OB. And the group that she's in is so large. I think, I mean, there's more than 15 doctors in the group. So by seeing the smaller group of midwives, I was acclimating myself with a smaller group that are share most, most call, not all, but most call at the hospital. So if she wasn't on call, which was, I was completely counting that out because of how many doctors there were, I would at least have the option to be with one of these midwives more than likely. So I did that. I I saw these three midwives and my doctor, the whole pregnancy and no one else. When my doula came for a a pre-baby visit, um, we were, you know, talking and my doctor had given me the dates that she was on call and um, I swear she planned it around my pregnancy. She like planned her vacation. I'm, I'm, mm. she will never admit it, but I'm sure she did because she was on call like four times the week of my due date. And I told my doula, I said, she's on call this day, this day, this day. And she looked at me and she was like, well, why don't you just schedule an induction with her? And my doula was telling me this and I'm like, you're crazy. Really? Why, would I, why would I schedule my, why would I schedule an induction? And, you know, she was like, you're, you're going to your doctor, you're having these appointments, she's telling you your cervix is favorable, she's, you know, you're, you're dilating a little bit, your body is getting ready to do this anyway, you went into labor naturally, kind of, I guess I scared my body into labor the first time, the, the day of your due date, you know, your family history is everyone is coming early. So she, you know, she was like, I, I think that in you having your mental health in check by knowing that your doctor is going to be there for you, I think that would be better for you than going in and having a doctor you've never met before hmm. guide you through this process. And I was like, okay, well, of course, now I have to do my research because I'm not just going to that's what take you do. That and go with it. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that's a lot of I things do. to consider in what she told you. You know, there's like, yeah, your mental state, your physical state, your emotional well-being, physical well-being, your doctor being there, not being there. What's going to trigger you the most? What's the what's the trade-off for whatever situation? So yeah, there's a kind of, that's a lot of a lot of stuff to have to figure. Yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot and. So I talked to a few of the midwives. I, you know, did a lot of research on feedback induction, which I kind of got, I knew that there weren't a ton, not all of the doctors in the group would be willing, I guess, to do a, a VBAC induction. You know, they'll let you labor when you get to the hospital, but they're not, they're not going to start that for you. What else? I mean, I just, I looked at, I looked at a lot of different things. I talked to a lot of different people and, Ultimately, my doctor thought it was a good idea to do that. And again, I mean, this person, this, I, I just trusted her more than anything. 
So we decided to to do an induction the week that I was due, and it it was it went well. I mean, we went into the hospital. I was admitted. I had a fully bulb induction. Um, they put the bulb in in the morning, and I had it in for maybe five hours, maybe a little longer. And my doctor came in and tugged it, and it just fell right out. And then I started, it was crampy, but started, contractions kind of started picking up on their own after that. When she pulled the bulb out, I was six centimeters. So mentally for me, that was like, I like needed that because six centimeters is where I stalled the Mm -hmm. the first time. So for me to just not be doing, like I haven't done anything yet and I'm already there. I was like, okay, I'm in a good place. So was kind of, contractions kind of started on their own, but she wanted to do a little bit of Pitocin to kind of keep things moving in the right direction. So they did that and she did warn me that things would sort of, they would pick up and they would, they would pick up fast because, you know, my, my contractions and my body needed to catch up to where my, where I was dilated physically. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of, you know, I was prepared for that. And I've always kind of heard that, that contractions on Pitocin are a little more intense. So I was ready for that too. And I really didn't want any pain medication this time around. I didn't, I didn't want an epidural. I, I kind of wanted to just really experience everything because I didn't get to experience it the first time from what I felt. So I really just wanted to immerse myself in it this time. Things were going great. I they were I was on a super low dose of Pitocin. I think my husband and I watched like six hours of guys' grocery games um, <laughs> on TV. It was like nonstop. It was a marathon. And I was allowed to like eat. And I mean, it was just such a different experience than the last time. I was already so just thankful for everything. And contractions started picking up. And it was, you know probably in the middle of the night when I think I was probably at seven centimeters and I just got super nauseous and mm. I started just vomiting like nonstop. And my husband was like so concerned and he yeah. asked the nurse, he's like, is this okay? Is this normal? And the nurse was just like, yeah, she's seven centimeters. This is what happens. And I was like, oh, he was like, oh, I didn't, I had no idea, but this is just what happened. So I mean, we were, I was okay after, after a little while and I was just, I was exhausted. And I I think at that point the doctor had come in and checked and it was probably closer to earlier, you know, in that, that morning. And I was at eight centimeters and I started feeling some pains in my right side, some like shooting pains, almost like, almost like as if you like really pulled a muscle mm-hmm. and, um, and you had had the epidural by this point. I did. I did not have the epidural at this oh, point. I ended okay. up after, after that, I was like, okay, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I have this weird pain in my side. Let me get the epidural. Let me just do it. And I think I went back and forth like five or six times. I was like, I want to go get the anesthesiologist. And then I said, no, 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 I don't want it. And you know, I made the nurse promise me. I was like, you have to promise me that this is not going to slow things down. And she was just like, shut, just shut this girl up. Like, get the epidural. You need it. Mm. So I ended up getting it. And I was just so thankful for some relief. And 
at that I had gotten it around, I think between seven and eight centimeters and just got to sleep and relax for a little bit. And, and I did that for a few hours and I had progressed while I was sleeping, which I was so scared that it wasn't going to happen because it's what happened the first time. Mm-hmm. So I had progressed to about a nine, 9.5 and things were, you know, like, they were going and I just remember thinking to myself like, Oh my God, this is going to happen. I was like, this is really going to happen. And then I kept having this pain on my right side. It just, it, it was, it was still there. And I remember thinking this, is this normal to be having this feeling when I have the epidural, you know, I, I, it was a good epidural and that I could still kind of feel and, and, you know, move around if I needed to. The first time I was just, I, I couldn't feel anything from the waist down. So I, was kind of thankful for a little bit of sensation, but it was just really, really sharp shooting pain at this point. And I could still feel it and, and it was worse than it had been. So I I just, I was a little bit concerned about that. And I remember thinking and saying, you know, to my doctor, like, I, I don't, I just don't know, like I'm worried about getting to 10 centimeters and not being able to push. Like I'm, I'm, like thinking and feeling like what it would be like to push right now. And it just, it really hurts my side. It's really, really bothering me. And, you know, she was like, this is, it just, it's a pain pocket or, you know, it's maybe just an area where the epidural is not reaching, you know, this it's it just, you know, wait this one out. Like everything's okay. And the nurses, you know, everyone kept saying everything is okay. And I was just like, okay, you know, like this time I was kind of thankful, like the medical professionals are telling me that everything is okay. Everything is going to be fine. You know, it was just kind of a weird situation because people, doctors and nurses were coming in and out and in and out. And, you know, we would get a little bit of a heart rate drop. And I was like, oh, here we go again. This is, this is not good. And then it would stabilize and everything would be great. And we would be like, they, I mean, they had nurses in there, like, you know, shaking me and moving me and, like squatting and my doula was in there and everyone was like working for me really, really hard. Everyone Mm -hmm. was, I mean, it was again, like going back to the experience, it was everything that I could have imagined as far as the experience goes in in labor. And this uh, this is like, this is, this is amazing. This is, this is great. And then I remember the nurses stepped out, the doctors had stepped out and her heart rate crashed. Like, I guess, pretty bad because my doula Mm. ran across the room and like threw me on my side like shoved me over and I my the pain in my side hurt so bad at this Mm. point I was like it was it was terrible it was like excruciating and she was like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and she kind of like moved me around and and then the nurses came back in obviously like they ran back in because they had seen it on the monitors outside and then the doctor came in and the doctor was like, you know, listen, I, we don't know what is happening. We don't know what the issue is, but, you know, um, I think that we need to, we need to think about doing a C-section. And I, I, I just remember thinking like, I thought that this was kind of coming and I, I, I didn't like immediately sob or cry. It just, my doula came over and my doula talked to the doctor and just kind of really stepped in and, and was like, you know, she had a really bad experience the first time around. And the doctor asked me, you know, what, what can we do to make this a better experience for you? And I just, 
was so appreciative that the doctor cared enough, you know, in that moment to be, to ask me, you know, what, what had happened and, you know, why did I feel so, you know, sad about my first experience and why was it so horrible? And, and I was just, I, I was so appreciative of that. And, um, you know, I let her know and just kind of like not feeling like I'm in control and just being so in shock. And, you know, I mean, they, they get it They They see this every day. So she, she did, she asked me what, you know, what, what could I do or what could they do to make everything better? And I said, well, I, I really, you know, I understand that this has to happen and I get it, but I really, really, I, I want to hold her when she comes out. That's mm-hmm. really important to me. And, and the nurse was like, um, that's, that can't happen. That's not going to happen. I mean, it's a very really? traditional hospital. I mean, they don't, they don't do the clear drape. They don't do skin to skin in the OR. They don't, they don't do any of that, especially when there's issues and, you know, the neonatologist looks at the baby and then they, you know, they, they let you see them. They'll hold them to your face, but then they leave. And, you know, I just said, I, I need, I need that to happen. I really need that to happen. And they were like, okay, well let, let us go, you know, see what we can do. And they talked to the, the they call it the baby catcher. I don't know if it's a formal title, but, so nurse, I guess, or the physician who catches the baby and talk to the anesthesiologist and, you know, talk to a bunch of the different people that were going to be in there. And they came back and they were like, well, they're going to let you do skin to skin in the OR. And I was Aww. just like, so, so, yeah. so happy. So happy. I was like, go ahead, cut me open. Like, let's just do this. I want to see my baby. Mm. So, and we went in and, and the anesthesiologist, I remember she was like, she was like stroking my hair and they like put on music for me. And it was just like everything that I could have asked for in that, in that moment. And when she came out, they like, they, they brought her over to me and I got to hold her and they put her on my chest and like, she was all goopy and like had all this like stuff all over her. I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) It was just so, it was awesome. It was really awesome. And then the mood kind of changed in the OR and, you know, they ended up being like, okay, well we let's, we got to take her to the nursery now. Let's get her, you know, clean. And, um, so they, they took her and the doctor, the, the surgeon leaned over the drape and she said, Brianna, I have to tell you that you ruptured your uterus. And I was in complete shock. I, I had no I had no clue or thought that that was even going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I read all the risks. I did the research. I knew, I knew the percentage. I signed the paperwork. I knew that, I knew that it was it a happened. risk, but yeah, it was like, there's no way there's no, there was no way in my head that it was going to happen. Yep. And you know, they, as I said, the, the mood kind of shifted a little bit. They turned off the music, you know, things kind of, they got, they got serious. Everyone got quiet and, mm. um, you know, they kind of just, they were, they were working and I fell asleep because I was in there for a really long time. Um, and I, I, I didn't know if, you know, what the outcome was going to be, but I was just, when I woke up in recovery, I just, you know, wanted to see my baby and I just wanted to hold her. And I was just, I, I immediately felt so connected to her and it was just 
awesome. It was really, really awesome because I just didn't, I didn't have that with my first. I mean, yeah. I, I came out and I was drugged and I was just exhausted and tired. And I mean, I don't even remember it. You know, this, I, I remember this birth, like uh, unbelievable, like every, every detail, every moment. Mm, that's so neat. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so in the, the next day the doctor came into my, or that day I came into my, um, my room after my recovery room and she sat down with me and she said, I think, I think a lot of times the surgeon or the doctor who's, who's, you know, performing the surgery is really, I don't think they like to, if it's a big deal, they try not to make it seem like a, a, a really, you know, a really big deal because I don't think, I think that they don't want to, they don't want to scare you. They don't want to, you know, you to Yeah, they don't want you to go into shock on the operating horrible. room table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, she came in and, and she, well, first a nurse had came in that was in my in my room and she started, she was like, we all heard about your, what happened? And they were like, she was like outside, like, that's crazy. And I was like, what? I had no, I was like, what happened? because I hadn't even spoken to the doctor yet and she had come in and when she came in and, and was telling me the story and what happened, she said that, yes, I had ruptured my uterus and the baby was, she was like inside, outside. So some of her body was in my uterus and the so rest of it was crazy. like hanging out in oh my, my body. So her like, arm and shoulder were were not in my uterus they were they were out there and that's kind of why she wasn't coming down and why there were all these issues and I I remember being in the OR when she told me that my uterus ruptured I after I was shocked I was like huh well at least I you know at least that's the reason (laughs) at least like it's not like me, there's nothing wrong with me. It's I, I'm able to push a baby out. Like it was a true emergency. Yeah. Yeah. It it really was. So, you know, they, they usually, the doctor explained it usually with a uterine rupture, a telltale sign is that they start, they see bleeding and that's why they, that's how they know that you start bleeding vaginally when in labor and that didn't happen. So they didn't know. And the reason that that didn't happen was because she was like plugging the rupture So with her body, you know, being halfway in my uterus and in my body, she was, you know, acting with a plug and that's why I didn't bleed out. So she saved you. She saved me. Yeah, I was really, really lucky. And, you know, by nature of what I do, I, I, I work in a hospital setting, so I'm around a lot of doctors and just to, to talk to them and to talk to like friends and people about my story. I mean, I think when a doctor looks at you and their eyes widen and they say, Oh my God. And you know, they say, wow, you, you're really lucky. You kind of like put two and two together. Like, wow, I'm really, really lucky that things turned out the way that they did. I mean, and it was a clean surgery. They were able to repair my uterus. They, I didn't lose anything. I mean, their recovery, I was cleared, you know, after a normal C-section recovery. So, I really, really, really was very lucky in that it wasn't like a a severe, severe rupture where I would have lost my uterus or lost ovaries. Yeah, because that's 
that's pretty common in, when that happens too. So, and I had, you know, I had some like complications. My, my, I got sick from my toddler before he was in labor and I ended up with bronchitis. So I'm coughing. Oh, with no. I ended up with postpartum endometritis. I mean, oh, it was gosh. just, it was like a really, really rough recovery. Mm-hmm. But I, I am just so happy. I'm so happy and I'm so thankful that I, I'm just, I'm happy that I got the experience because it's really, that's just so what I wanted. And, you know, I feel like, you know, in talking about my, with being in therapy and like wanting to be okay with that outcome, I, I feel like I didn't even know that I was there until it happened. I didn't know that I was going to be okay with that happening until it I, until it actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just having like, to having built this team around me of support and has really just it made all of the difference. And I remember like, you know, you get the, the baby blues after you have your baby and you just, cause your hormones are regulating. And I was just so scared. And I remember telling my husband, like, I'm just so scared that this is going to come back. That, like that, that this depression is going to come back. I'm just terrified of it. And you know, he he would just remind me every day, like, you know, you're doing an amazing job. This is not, like, this is not how you were the last time. This is not, you're doing so much better. You're amazing. And just, you know, continuously being that amazing support for me. And, you know, she's two months old today. And life is just great. It's just amazing. I'm just so happy. I'm so lucky. I'm so happy. And I'm just so thankful that I that I went through everything that I did. It's just part of my story, you know? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, and you're going to inspire people, you know, down the road, and you're going to be able to connect. And maybe someone you meet will have had a similar experience and maybe will struggle, and I think maybe you'll be able to help them process and go through their experience and and just be, I don't know, just be there, you know, to support. I feel like... yeah. We all go through these situations in life, whether it's not, you know, not just birth, but um, we just go through experiences in life. And sometimes we're not really quite sure why they're happening or, you know, like you you didn't see that coming and it just came and you you rolled with it. Um, But I do. I really, truly believe that these experiences that we are given in life are meant for a reason. And sometimes we may not figure them out for years, but... You know, my two cesareans, I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have two C-sections. Yeah, I totally would not have wanted her on the team if she only had one cesarean. Oh, oh, no, I'm just saying, I'm I'm just just saying in general, like, (laughs) if I eat just any cesarean, you know, I I might not be here. I might not be as passionate in the VBAC world. And 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 everyone would be so much sadder and lonely without you. (laughs) No. Well, no, I just think, I think your story is awesome. And and yes, um, it can be scary and... And yours was, yours was scary. Mm-hmm. It was scary, but also, like you said, healing and you're just, you're doing so awesome. And so we're really proud of you for going through that. And we know that you're going to touch yeah. some women's life here in the future. Absolutely. And um, we want to talk a little bit about um, uterine rupture and like what, what it really means. Like the most controversial and political thing about VBAC is uterine rupture. And that is why we have VBAC bans and that is why doctors won't support VBAC. And that is why we have, you know, lawsuits and controversy and politics and all of the bad juju that comes with VBAC 
is directed back towards uterine rupture. And so we have a blog up on our blog today. And you can find that blog on the vbacklink.com slash blog. And it is all about how to really understand the risk of uterine rupture. It breaks it down for you. We link to studies. We have credible citations. We have lots of statistics because it wouldn't be a blog written by yours truly without a bunch of statistics mm -hmm. in it. And so I just want you to know that like the biggest thing that you can do to avoid uterine rupture is to avoid a cesarean in the first place. But you're probably not listening to the VBAC Link podcast because you did not have a cesarean for your first birth. Although so, we do encourage first-time yes, moms to listen. Do. But I bet you didn't know that you can still have a uterine rupture without having had a previous cesarean. Mm -hmm. So the chance for uterine rupture is 0.4%, which is about like 1 in 200 to 250, depending on what study you look at. But without having a cesarean, you are 0.07%. You have 0.07% chance of having a uterine rupture. So it actually happens you know, not definitely not as often, but it's not unheard of. And actually, we had somebody message on Instagram once that had a uterine rupture without having had a cesarean. But now she's a VBAC mom because she ruptured on um, a cervix that hadn't ha doesn't didn't have a scar on it. And so it's kind of a unique circumstance, right? But listen up. When your uterus does rupture, most of the time, it's not going to be catastrophic, which means you're not going to lose... Your, your infant life is not going to be lost. So one in 16 uterine ruptures are catastrophic, which result in the loss of infant life. And that's a really low percentage when you're thinking about um, loss of life related to uterine rupture. But guess what else? The loss of maternal life due to uterine rupture is so incredibly low it's non-existent. Like, I can't even find a statistic for it. It's not tracked on the National Vital Records database. The CDC doesn't track it. There's literally not a statistic for the loss of maternal life. So, anyways, there is so much more that we can talk about uterine rupture and what really defines a uterine rupture anyways. And when your doctor tells you that you have a 30% chance of uterine rupture, what does that really mean? And we also put uterine rupture into perspective and to compare it to a couple other things that are pretty frequent to happen in your life. So we also talk about how to avoid uterine rupture in the first place. There's lots of things you can do to reduce that risk. And Megan and I did a very special episode all about, guess what? Uterine, uterine rupture. rupture. <laughs> it's special episode number eight. So if you want to go back and listen to that, um, we go a lot more in detail there. So Find our blog on Udermshire, thevbacklink.com slash blog. And thank you so much, Brianna, for sharing your story with us today. I know that it can be a really hard thing to talk about and a really hard thing to share and a really emotional thing. And so we are so grateful to you for coming to us and letting us be in your space while you share that intimate moment with us. Thank you. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to thevbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC Link.